manner of words unsaid. Just lonely feelings left the way in my head. I trap myself further every time I stay quiet. I should start to speak, but I stop and stay silent. And now I've made my own hard bed inside this prison. Hello and welcome to another episode of Consensus, a podcast hosted by seven black and mixed race women. (laughs) We discuss key political issues from the perspective of four political parties in the UK. I'm Tosin Adedayo and I'm a Conservative member. Joining me also today is... Hi, my name is Melissa Gordon and I'm a Liberal Democrat member. Hi, my name is Morella Okoye and I'm a Labour Party member. Great, good to have you guys here today. Um, Before we get started, please follow us on Twitter for updates on the podcast. Um, Our Twitter handle is at the underscore consensus underscore. And join in the conversation using our hashtag consensus podcast. Hi, I'm Tessina Dadayo. And here are this week's top political news. First, Sajid David gave his maiden or first public speech as Home Secretary this week. Javid became Home Secretary following the resignation of Amber Rudd last month over the Windrush scandal. In his speech to the Police Federation, he pledged to prioritise police funding in the next spending review. He said, I'll give you the tools, power and the backup you need to get the job done. The Home Secretary acknowledged that resources were an issue for struggling British police forces, but did not accept arguments that reductions in police numbers are directly driving a rise in violent crime. He also gave his support to stop and search powers, saying, Some of you don't feel comfortable using it, and that's not how it should be. I have confidence in your professional judgment, so let me be clear, I support the use of stop and search. You have to do your job, and that means protecting everyone. Well, I wonder how the ladies on the youth violence episode feel about this. Javid, whose brother is a police chief superintendent, vowed to reset the relationship between police and government in a bid to signal that he will be a different Home Secretary to Theresa May and, to some extent, Amber Rudd. The Grenfell Inquiry began hearing from families of victims this week. The inquiry is led by retired judge Sir Martin Morbick. The nine days of commemoration hearings began on Monday with a 72-second silence for the victims. The inquiry organiser said, It is an opportunity for the families of those who lost their lives in the fire to provide a tribute of them for the inquiry record. The first tribute on the opening day of the inquiry was from the father of a baby stillborn after his parents escaped the blaze. There will be two phases of the inquiry. The first will examine how the blaze developed and the second will look at how the tower became exposed to the risk of a major fire. This is separate to any police investigation. He's making a list and checking it twice. GDPR is coming to Europe. I'm sure you've been inundated with emails about GDPR as the data protection law comes into effect across the European Union. The General Data Protection Regulation, or 
GDPR is a new EU law that changes how personal data can be collected and used. Even companies based outside the EU must follow the new rules if offering their services in the EU. Some companies based outside the EU have temporarily blocked their services across Europe to avoid falling foul of the new legislation. Companies that fall foul of the GDPR can be, in extreme cases, fined more than £17 million. Elizabeth Denham, the Information Commissioner, reassured small businesses in the UK that small businesses which did not make extensive use of customer data would not come under close scrutiny. This comes as the Federation of Small Businesses warned that many smaller firms may not be prepared for the regulations coming into force. Instead, the ICO said the focus would be on big companies, particularly those in the technology sector, that deliberately, persistently or negligently misuse data. Within hours of the regulation coming into effect, complaints were already filed against Facebook, Google, Instagram and WhatsApp. The companies are accused of forcing users to consent to targeted advertising to use the services. And lastly, in a perfect transition to this week's episode, for the first time this year, Oxford University published the full breakdown of its admission statistics. The headline figures showed that last year, Oxford admitted 48 black British students, having offered places to 65. The data was released after more than 100 MPs wrote to Oxford and Cambridge last October, urging them to take action to recruit more students from underrepresented backgrounds. The statistics show that one in four of Oxford's prestigious colleges failed to admit a black student every year between 2015 and 2017. Corpus Christi admitted just one in total over the three years. Oxford University paper Cherwell noted that 49 students from London's prestigious Westminster School were given offers from the university in 2017, more than the total of black students from the entire country. Disparities are also regional. Nearly a quarter of new students were from London, 23% from the southeast, while 2.3% and 7.6% were from the northeast and northwest, respectively. Both university and student union representatives said the discrepancy was partly down to the applications Oxford received. We are not getting the right number of black people with a talent to apply to us and this is why we are pushing very hard on our outreach activity to make sure we make them feel welcome and they realise Oxford is for them. Samina Khan, Oxford University's Director of Undergraduate Admissions said. The university's colleges have now agreed to establish a new scheme which will fund in advance the interview travel fees of applicants from disadvantaged backgrounds. The institution has also added 500 more places to its spring and summer school programme for students from underrepresented backgrounds. They allow prospective A-level students from disadvantaged backgrounds to spend a week at the university and receive advice. Students who attend the programme, known as Unique, that's with a Q at the end, 
UNIQ <laughs> have a 34% chance of a successful application compared to 20% for the UK-wide applicants. I guess this begs the question, if a lot of black students are not applying to Oxford, perhaps the institutional bias begins way, way back in the education system. Thank you for listening and let's get back to this week's episode. So today we'll be exploring education in the UK, touching on trends particularly around class and ethnicity and how these might affect success and attainment. So um, before we get really deep into the topic, I just want to find out what your um, educational background has been. So did you go to an independent school, comprehensive academy, um, uh, university apprenticeship? Let me know. Um, Lorella? Okay, so <laughs> I went to um, just a normal primary school, a local okay. primary school. It wasn't private. Um, <laughs> went to a normal primary school, secondary school, um, and then went to college. Um, GCSEs were quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up studying for the International Baccalaureate. Okay, that's Following that, um, I then um, took some time out to work for a law firm. Um, because I wanted to study my law degree and also um, whilst doing my law degree I also wanted to um, study for a professional qualification mm-hmm. so a legal exec qualification which is what I'm doing now okay um, yeah so that's it that's been it so far and I have plans to go on to do my master's okay. after also so that's how it's been so far okay do you feel that because um, you went to a normal school because law is actually one of I suppose people would say a very upper middle class career and you, yeah. and a lot of people went to Oxford and Cambridge right. and went to Harrow and Eton and Charterhouse. Right. Um, these are all independent schools by the way. Yes. Um, so do you think that you going to a comprehensive school, just a local, local government, local authority run school, um, do you think that that's hindered you professionally or do you think that it's actually not made much of a difference? Um, I think it has. But I just haven't allowed it to as much as I could have. Mm. Um, and I think it was very noticeable in the transition I made from GCSE to then going on to study for the International Baccalaureate. Yeah. Um, being in those classes, you, I was able to meet so many different types of people from so many different backgrounds. I yeah. didn't even know what Eton was before <laughs> I started studying for the International Baccalaureate. So it was, you could see the difference. And I then began to understand the importance and the link between people and opportunities Mm -hmm. um a lot of you know a lot of the time you do hear it oh it's not what you know it's who you know Mm -hmm. and it's so true Mm -hmm. like it really is who you know i've had so many opportunities just as a result of who i've sat next to in class or who i managed to have conversations with or who i managed to have a cup of tea with yeah so it it really does have an effect but i didn't allow it to at the same time because 
you know, when you have a focus and you have a, a particular drive, yeah. yes, you encounter problems and yes, mm -hmm. you encounter obstacles that a lot of the time you don't necessarily have control over, but you find a way mm -hmm. around okay. it. So definitely yeah. I've seen the difference though. Suppose mine um, is a bit similar to yours. So, well, I was born in Nigeria, so I, um, I started, I suppose I had my primary school, but most of my primary school years in Nigeria and there, there tends to be private schools. So I went to a private school there. Um, and then I did a bit of secondary school. Don't ask me how, because I was like 10 when I came to this country. <laughs> but the system is really quick. Um, then I came to this country, I went to started year five and year six, and then I went to an academy. So it was one of the first academies actually mm -hmm. in the UK. And, um, and then from there, I, for after my GCSEs, um, I went to a sixth form college. I did get into a grammar school because I live in Kent and where there are loads of grammar schools. But I chose not to um, go to that grammar school because I preferred the course that I was doing, that they had at um, the sixth form college. Um, and it was a faith um, sixth form college, so it was a Christian one or Catholic. Okay, um, yeah. Um, and then after that, I went to university. Um, I went to Birkbeck, which is an evening university. So that allowed me, it's, in a way, it's kind of similar to a degree apprenticeship cause, oh, wow. um, because um, it was evening, although it's not like a formal degree apprenticeship, mm. because it was evenings, I was able to have a nine to five. So that's how I got into my career because I started, I was interned in nine to five and then went to university six to nine. Um, full time? Yeah, full time, both wow. full time. So um, that was my journey in and whether it's hindered me, I think for me, it's worked perfectly. And I know that now when I look back, I think, damn, I could have gone into UCL. I could have like gone to Kings and Nottingham and all this thing. But actually, I think for me, it worked out well because I am now comfortable at a comfortable place in my career where right. a lot of people who came out of university at the same time I did are probably not where I'm at right now because mm. of the university I went to. So, um, so yeah, I don't think Amazing. that... Yeah. I think my education journey has been, it's been my education journey. Mm. Um, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I like <laughs> so, that a lot though. Yeah. Um, so, Mel. Yeah. So I went to a um, CUV, a Church of England primary school mm -hmm. in um, around sort of Brixton, Herne Hill area. So it was really ethnically diverse. Which oh, wow. Was, and, you know, I mean, I'm not religious, but I really enjoyed having that sort of aspect. I've always been interested in religion, I think, probably as a result of going to a Church of England school. Yeah. Um, and then when I was, I, seriously, life peaked for me at 11. I did, um, my parents, I applied to a variety of schools. Um, my parents kind of wanted me to go to a private school, um, but we could only do it if I got a scholarship and a bursary. And the one school that I did get that for was an independent girls' school in Streatham, um, which was... Really, I really liked that school. Um, it it was quite, I think, different from the normal perceptions of a private school being that it wasn't sort of set in the rolling fields and mm. we were all running around like some sort of Enid Blyton kind of <laughs> novel with like lacrosse sticks. But, um, you know, it was still a private school, so we benefited from small class sizes. Right. Um, and sort of especially in, I stayed there for my A-levels as well. So at that point, you have class sizes of like between four and 11 oh, wow. girls which is quite intense. Yeah, so I can think, imagine. Yeah, so it was really good because you get to know the teachers very well and they're mm. able to steward you. Um, so, for example, I think most of the girls in my sixth form, um, at that point, there must have been, oh gosh, around not even 50 of us. Um, most of us went to university and a lot of us went to Russell Group mm. universities, which is what I did. I went mm. and I studied history and politics at Nottingham. Mm. Um, and I do think it's 
contributed to how I to how to where I've arrived now. Yeah. Mm. Um, I can't say that if I didn't go there, if it would be different, because that's just a massive what if. Yeah. Um, I know that from the values and stuff that the way that my parents drove me and like encouraged me. Hopefully, I, I would have done something similar. Yeah. Um, but I think going to a private school really does. I don't know. It's like education stays with you, doesn't it? It's so yeah. formative. Yeah. Um, um, right. I really um, liked the fact that you mentioned that um, this, the the independent school that you went to wasn't actually the typical. <laughs> I'm not trying to talk school. it down. It was still a <laughs> no, 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 no. But I think that it's important to. Sometimes I mean, maybe true. I'm saying that because I'm a Tory and I believe that you know people should be able to go to independent schools and they yes. they have a valid place in our education system. Because a lot of people have when it, when they say independent schools, private schools, they think of Eton, Harrow. They think of you know the wealthy upper class boarding mm-hmm. school. Um, and then they think of Oxbridge and they think of wealthy parents yeah. who are able to afford it. When actually, quite there's only there's a very small selection of those very elite independent yeah, schools. And the rest are actually just, you know, schools that you probably see, that you would never even think no, was an independent I, I school. Agree. My school, I'd say, was like quite a solidly middle class school. Yeah. There wasn't, they were like, sometimes there'd be someone of like outrageous wealth, but that yeah. would be like a source of gossip in a way yeah um, there wasn't it was mostly like people whose parents incomes were probably combined six mm-hmm. figures but exactly. they've not been earning six figures a yeah. piece yeah um but of course there was like massive diversity and sort of backgrounds in my yeah. school and being a school in like inner london right. um there was still from like a really small geographic yeah. area as well within london um it was probably yeah quite more diverse in terms of like ethnicity and background than say other private schools may have been yeah which put me at a significant advantage because it's nice to have that inclusion yeah 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 okay well actually i think that leads nicely to my next point which is do we still think that class is is the biggest factor in education success because obviously people still if you say you went to an independent school people just assume that you're so rich and that's why you know they don't actually sometimes they disregard the fact that maybe you're a hard-working person yeah who have pushed themselves or maybe your parents have worked 10 jobs to be able to get you into that independent mm-hmm. school they just assume and write you off that oh obviously you've got daddy's money and that's why you're in this posh job mm. um so do we still think that educate that class is still plays a big factor in education success I think it does. Um, I think that children recognise sort of class quite young. They might not know why, but they, they definitely know about money. Right. Um, which I guess is sort of loosely tied with class, though maybe not so much nowadays in British society as it used to be. Um, I think it's more prevalent at like university. Mm-hmm. Um, you notice that kids of different backgrounds, similar backgrounds, tend to group together. Yeah, like some sort of it's like a club. It's like Durham. Yeah. Everyone knows. When you say Durham, <laughs> everyone knows. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that class is like definitely a factor. Um, but I think it might be sort of more of a I don't know less of a more of a symptom mm. of education okay. rather than like something that if that makes sense. Okay, but you don't think that is the biggest factor. No, mm. but I think it okay. comes into play. Because, yeah, because I, yeah, I think it's the individual. I think, yeah, um, I agree. so when I was, I was looking at so some stuff, <laughs> but no, but it's true, <laughs> you know, I just find it so, um, I don't know, I just, I don't really understand why people will still think that. I mean, I saw loads of, when I was researching on this, I saw loads of articles in The Guardian talking about, yes, class is still the biggest issue. And I just think, well, actually, is it or is it not? So, um, the Centre Forum published this report that was saying that um, 
children of ethnic minorities do much better than their white counterparts of the same socioeconomic backgrounds. So obviously, if they are all working class, then why is it that um, people of certain groups do better than, than other others, groups? Yeah. Mm. Which then made me think, actually, when I was looking down the report, so the report was published by the Department of Education, and it was mainly talking about how perhaps culture makes uh, more of a an impact. Right, um, yeah. Because... I know, for example, in Kent, where I live, there, as I say, there are loads of grammar schools, and I know that parents will move houses, um, black parents. I know a lot of parents do it, but I know that specifically in the black, like African community, there's this real drive and push in education, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that they will do anything to make you success. So it doesn't matter if you live in a council flat, it doesn't matter if you live in a nice three-bed terrace house, the same way... It's going to be the same way that they're going to push you right. to um, succeed. Yeah. And um, I mean, everyone knows the, whole, the the joke, you know, like, did that person in your class have two heads when they got, you know, 100% and you got 98, mm. for example? <laughs> that is like the sort of mentality that our culture or my culture has. Um, and I don't think that class maybe, yeah, I don't think that class plays that much of a role. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I'm not so sure. I think, oh, sorry. Sorry, I think it's more so of a, a subconscious thing that we take the, responsi- the responsibility of in our minds mm. and we kind of use it to kind of um, compare ourselves to each other. Yeah. So there's a superiority complex between people in university immediately when people see, oh, okay, so this guy's a um, international um, student and he's wearing... <laughs> he got money. class. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. But, um, I don't think it has a big part to play on education. I definitely do agree with the culture. I think it has a lot to do with background, your upbringing, um, and how your environment as well definitely um, yes. impacts your character and your perception and mm. approach to your education. I think that's the the one of the most strongest factors in how your how how the results of your education play out. So yeah. definitely, I do agree. Yeah. Culture is a big. Factor. especially for me i agree i'm, I'm like nigerian too like, like the whole two heads yeah it's like a common one thing so definitely i agree yeah. i think it's sort of yeah like the way that people perform in schools um it's yeah there's a ton of a ton of factors but when you see how sort of children in london tend to do better than counterparts in the countryside mm, and then right. in the areas that are most deprived tend to be areas that have been you know they're called like the left behind areas right. they're like you know the black pools of the world, mm. the, those sort of areas that just have faced like real economic decline, mm. and that sort of tends to get paired with educational decline. It's just a whole host of factors holding everything right. back. Yeah. So maybe that is class, or maybe it is just like class being born from complete yeah economic. But I suppose we we say class. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. Class is such a weird I, I, I understand. Yeah, I understand when people, why people say class because they, when you say class, they assume. Oh, um, for example, if you went to a grammar school, your parents could afford you having extra lessons. Right. Yeah. So they think that's you know that's class. But actually, a lot of as the way the same way that we mentioned independent schools, actually a lot of parents can't afford it. Mm. They're doing something out of the parents who find it very important for their kids to have that educational background. Find like would do anything for their kids to. To go to those schools, right, yeah. so I think I think parents, your parents have such a big part to yeah, play in this, and also the part. individual. And yeah. I suppose that also stems from culture. Yeah. Because yeah. if you, for example, what I find is a lot of people don't really have aspirations. Um, 
But the aspirations aren't academic. Yes. Mm. Or, or they feel like they can't aspire to do something academic, even though they, they probably... Not saying that everyone needs to go down that route, but some people actually can do it, but they just feel like, you know, why should, why should well, I? I also think as well, um, just comparing the focus of one's life and the way they're expected to go to get to somewhere so many years ago it was the traditional the only way you can get here is by going to university yeah now we have things like okay maybe being self-employed and Mm. having your own business is Mm. a a way Mm. or maybe having an apprenticeship Mm. or maybe choosing to volunteer for a year so there's so many different options now and i think those different options have kind of opened a different door yeah to kind of seeing okay maybe this isn't the only way I can get to where I want to get to. And sometimes I think that's had an impact on the desire, desire the, the desirability factor of education, especially, okay. for example, looking at things like debt. Mm. That's a big factor. A lot of yeah. people haven't decided to go down the traditional education route because they, can't, they just can't afford it. There's so many different factors that go well, into it, I think. I mean... The debt thing. I mean, okay. I, I get, I get what you mean, but it is I something think it's that, more people, that like because the, the it's, you mean got... you can't even say that because the the, the number of people who go to university is con- continues to in- increase even with the nine thousand pounds. I think the real thing. issue is getting rid of the maintenance grants. But it is a problem. But that that then, yeah, it is still a problem. Yeah. But you would know a lot about that, wouldn't you, Mel? Oh, lies, 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 lies. <laughs> lies, lies. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> this is just the obvious target. <laughs> no matter what I say, I'm going to be called out for it anyway. <laughs> but also, it wasn't the to- yeah. So people say the Lib Dems broke a pledge, but really it was just the Tories. They stuck to our own sticking pledge. to theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, you guys and that's said something I anyway. But yeah. sorry, I feel like we always pick on you guys every <laughs> single episode. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, but if you're listening and you have a particular, if you think that we're wrong and you think class is still the biggest factor, do let's let know. us know. Um, yeah. to send send us a tweet at the underscore consensus underscore or use the hashtag consensus podcast and um, yeah, let's keep the conversation going. So um, actually, in the same vein, we've talked about ethnicity um so earlier this year i don't know if you guys remember that angela rayner who is the shadow education secretary she said that the focus on girls and minority ethnic groups has had a in quote negative impact on white working class males (laughs) what do you guys think made me really angry (laughs) and i think she has a point i what and and by that i mean there is like statistical evidence that boys who fit the white working class bracket have seen their attainment levels drop Mm. but i think the problem is the way she's framing the issue is though education is a zero-sum game yeah. where in order to make gains other people have to make losses right. and that is children that she's talking about and I yeah. think that's incredibly unfair to put that kind of pressure and she, if she's meant to be the shadow education secretary minister then she's going to be talking to and representing and arguing on behalf and against of teachers yeah. who I, yeah. we already know have now not only are they meant to be teaching people but they're also meant to be counsellors mental health experts um, social workers to some degree with the things that some kids have to go through yeah. and I think to frame the to frame the issue in that particular way isn't very helpful or constructive no. um, she's highlighted an issue but she's made it into like a winners and losers yeah it makes me when I read it it made me feel like oh so sorry we, we, we exactly. are the problem yeah, exactly. I don't know why you can't <laughs> everybody can't be helped yeah. to attain to yeah. you know attain their best and is that really potential. the thing that is that really that what's caused them to lose exactly. attainment because no 
It hasn't. Everyone knows that if you have like better educated across the board, then it, that's an improvement. Mm. Right. So it's it's yeah. I think she um yeah she made a really divisive. Definitely, statement. I think. I oh, think well, you're, you're not very... even supporting your party member. Oh either. no! If it's wrong, it's wrong. You call it out. <laughs> you call it out. And definitely, I think it it's really one of the most divisive things I've seen from a person of such influence mm. yeah. and um, status in um, the UK. Yeah. And then it was quite disappointing, to be honest, especially because I am a young black woman. So mm-hmm. what does that statement mean for me Yeah. in the working world? What does that statement mean for me as a young woman working towards a goal and working towards an aim? So because I am a young black woman, I am a detriment to a white man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it kind it's of... I mean, I know that I might be taking this OTT, but... No, you're not. no, you're but not. But I think it kind of reminds me of when people say, oh, you know, the immigrants are taking yeah, jobs yes. and that's why we are, um, we don't have that much money. Like, that's that's just what that's I get from it. That's basically what she it, said. It, just, it yeah. just feels like, it, well, the attention has been given to women and ethnic minorities. Yeah. So why can't... We... Okay, yeah. Angela. Yeah. <laughs> what do you suggest? I mean, yeah, I just, it just rubbed me up the wrong way. Same um okay so still on parties so what do you guys so how do you think your party addresses um ensuring that people with that privilege have access to or equal access to quality education and opportunity so um Mel, it looks as if you you're ready to go I'm ready. yes all right well so okay <laughs> obviously elephant in the room or cat out the bag um <laughs> the, the universities thing didn't really go too well for the liberal democrats but in coalition there were a number of things that we did that were really actually quite radical and progressive right. and i think that education um policy is like one of our strengths right um so for those of you who aren't aware there's this thing that's called pupil premium which essentially is an incentive for schools to take on uh kids from lower income yeah. backgrounds and the school will then receive money for this and we want to raise this to a thousand pounds per student um to help their attainment um and also of course free school meals for kids in their um in the infants so between the ages of sort of like four and seven so the first three years um because it's proven that early years education is the most important informative um and that if you can give kids like a healthy meal then they're more likely to be able to concentrate and do well and sorry, I'm just looking at you like, I'm sorry, what, sorry, what are those people that they came out of? What are they called? Parents? Are they not supposed to feed their children? Isn't that oh. their right? Sometimes their you gotta do what you gotta do. These are the workforce of the future. I'm Cynically, just saying my I own. know, I, that is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, another thing that the Liberal Democrats want to do or see is. Um, I can't sorry, take it. I just have to appreciate everything. Why do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> So another thing the Lib Dems want to do is give more power to local authorities so that the schools there have more control over their budgets and, you know, school places. And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm all about, I think, communities and localism is, is right. the solution to many problems. If you can devolve it, devolve it. Um, but, yeah, so... Oh, and also they want to improve more apprenticeships and have them across more industries because yeah. moving forward also it's going to be, you know, the economy and everything with these automation... Jobs are going to job security is going to become like a lot more uh, flexible. Yeah. So to be able to provide training to people later in life, so they can make the transition from one industry or one job to the next, or one skill set to another skill set, I think is 
really going to be where education policy lies in the future and accepting that not everyone between the ages of 18 and 21 can use that time to go to like how like like with you and and Mm. Burbeck and how that was such an asset um but I think trying to also yeah make something like that more appealing and more access and more normal yeah as well because I mean many people at age of 18 they're not suitable for the level of education well actually when I when I when I went to Birkbeck um that was the first year that they had allowed under like under 21s so previously it used to be 21 like and above really yeah to do evening study so yeah definitely I would agree with that um so yeah and I think like apprenticeships was one of the things that I suppose one of the positive things that came out of the coalition, which is this real push and drive for friendships, and mm. um, the government has really, really, especially the Conservative government now, has have been really trying to push up, push on this. And right. the things I really love right now, uh, maybe it's the Nigerian in me and the need for um, um, academic qualifications, <laughs> but I really love degree apprenticeships. It's like the best of both worlds. You can learn on the job, but still come out with. A degree, degree, which yeah. is just to me awesome. So, if you're a parent, if you're a young person thinking about what to do, do explore other options. You don't have to go to university. You could do apprenticeships, mm. or you could do degree apprenticeships, uh, which is the best of both worlds. Um, yeah, and I suppose as a Tory as well, I like so the Conservative Party in the in um, I think it was the 2017 manifesto. We talked about opening more grammar schools, yeah. and a lot of people talked down in it and said it's just an elitist move it's the conservatives doing what the conservatives know best trying to um make other people sideline other people which i was just like yeah okay whatever <laughs> um but actually i am a big fan of grammar schools i think a lot of the grammar schools if and maybe again that's because i'm a kent girl um but i think Grammar schools sort of, they give the opportunity for people who would not be able to go to independent schools to have that kind of rigorous education. Yes, perhaps all our schools should be like that, but we know that it's not. And I think it allows us to be able to select the best of the best who may not be able to um, function in a normal comprehensive school, where a grammar school will actually help them, will push them to... um, to reach their potential but that's that's my personal opinion a lot of people say that you know it's it's rubbish and there's no statistics to prove it um that this is actually helpful but that's what i think anyway um another thing i'm loving that i love that the conservative party have done especially under david cameron is free schools our free schools so actually i was a school governor in a free school in kensington very tory of me i know kensington um um, actually no the school i really just it was a primary school and i really just connected with the whole ethos of the school um and essentially free schools are schools set up by parents could be set up by parents teachers charities businesses university trust religious um, groups anybody who finds that there's a gap perhaps um in a local authority and they feel like maybe the schools in the area aren't that really aren't that good and they've got a great idea mm. um they can set up a free school and this is funded by central government um so some some academies are free schools or academies are academies and free schools are essentially the same thing they just have different names um so these are independent of local authorities um they can they don't have to follow the national curriculum. So the school that I was a school governor, school governor for, um, they had their own curriculum, and that was focused on sort of an American style of teaching, um, which is it kind of mirrored the whole Eton Harrow kind of style of teaching. Mm. And um, 
at that school actually because it was Kensington people did feel that it was just going to be a school for the rich yeah. um, that they don't have to pay for and yes a lot of people in that area were rich but there were a lot of people actually were not so rich so for example when the fire happened at Grenfell Tower actually there were a lot of school kids that lived around that area or who actually lived wow. in the tower so yeah. people premium was something that was a big deal for them we mm. really wanted to push for 20% of our kids um, at our school to be people premium so wow. we were actually helping people in the community <coughs> and um, that's something that I think that um, people don't talk about a lot yeah. and the conservative don't really talk about the success of it a lot um, I think the I way think it was implemented was so controversial yes and, and it was led by Toby Young well, you're not like his school was that the yeah, school yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going to ask I wasn't yeah, sure yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no but no but actually say what you will about him he's genuinely that passionate that was so fascinating when I read about his free, the, the free school yeah. yeah when you said he quit Kensington. his job to do that like he quit his job and his kids go to that school oh, wow. and he did it with the his friends the curriculum sounded sick the curriculum I, was yeah, awesome half, I, I really do say um, people look into yeah, this even if if you don't like him, the school, what the school's been doing is awesome. Um, and, and he did say, sorry, sorry, I keep butting him, like, yeah, fangirl yeah. No, now. please. But he did say that one of the things was to make sure that there was, a, like, a, like, a fair proportion of kids who were on low Yeah, and he wasn't lying. That, when, I had, when I had a chat with him the first time that I wanted to, that I was interested, that was the thing, that was, like, one of the first things he said to me. He said, I'm really keen to not not for people to see this school as another school for the elitists in Kensington and Chelsea, wow. but actually to get 20% of those who are um, low, lower socioeconomic backgrounds to actually be, um, to attend the school. So, um, yeah, food schools are something that I really, yeah. I really, really like. I, I can't even say this. Like, I, 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 I'm, ideologically, I'm not sure where I sit with free schools because I think that when you have schools like that one, which yeah. is, you know, on paper just looks like some sort of fantasy school where everyone mm. is, like, all the kids are polite and they're all interested in learning and they're all, like, able to develop as, like, solid, strong individuals. But then, you know, there is that that, that propensity for, for the system to be abused. Like you said, how it could just be, like, these, like, fancy schools that are yeah. set up in areas that aren't, that don't have any deprivation around them and do yeah. end up being sort of, like, masquerading as, like, elitist institutions. Mm. Um, and because of, like, the lack of government oversight, I mean, uh, it's it's difficult to get right for every, across the board. Yes, I would not disagree with that. Hmm. I wouldn't disagree <laughs> with that. But I think mostly they work really well. Um, and I think it's an opportunity because I think for too long we've just sort of taken to education as a like one size fit all and that's not actually how it is. Everybody learns differently yeah. and some things work better for other people. And getting, I suppose, okay, some, sometimes the people who are involved may have no training in <laughs> education, but like having universities set up free schools, for example. So imagine if Oxford mm. set up a free school, just how amazing that would be. And that yeah. was open to people from all backgrounds. <coughs> and it wasn't like a Harrow or Eton. Yeah. That's another avenue for people to get into Oxford, to get into those really good schools. So I do think that it's very, um, it's a very yeah. good initiative. And um, yeah, and long may it live. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Marella, what you? So as um, for the Labour Party, you know we're all about um, considering everybody. Mm -hmm. So um, the main aim in terms of education is to have like a national education system implemented. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that we were even talking about um, that they're trying to do is get independent schools to um, increase in the VAT for yeah. independent schools. Um, now, 
I think that has a bit of a negative um, impact in the long term, mm -hmm. just for the mere fact that in increasing the VAT for independent schools, you make it harder for those that wouldn't have been able to have afforded to yeah. get into those schools anyway. And in a way, taking a particular type of opportunity from them, like you mentioned, that they're coming from families that are willing to do above and beyond and everything for their child to get into that school. Yeah. It's, it, almost, it almost robs them of that privilege and yeah. that right. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not as positive on my end about <laughs> it as you guys are, but in terms of what your parties are doing. But yeah, what do you guys think about that? I think when it comes to things like private schools, it would be good to see them get more involved in the communities that they're in, yeah. uh, because a lot of the money then, it, it is not so much like sharing the wealth and the creation of opportunities. Mm. Um, I, re I recall that after, yeah, after the Grenfell happened and, and one of the schools, like they just, the kids just could not go back to that school because the building, the tower was right there. Yeah. Mm. Um, a private school nearby gave use of their facilities. Um, and I think that it shouldn't just take exceptional tragedies like that for those kind of incidences Things to happen. To happen. Yeah. It would be good to see them take, especially in areas like where my school was, where there is a lot of deprivation, just like, you know, just like, like down the road. Yeah. Um, and schools that don't have, where, you know, sometimes the teachers are just barely holding it together. Um, if, yeah, they could sort of do more joint enterprises. And then I think they'd be fair enough to say, oh, they do something to earn their charitable status, Spaces, even though yeah. that whole thing is a minefield anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think pushing up the VAT can have that negative effect, wherein if you push up school... Because everything, the price always gets passed on to the consumer. Of course, yeah. yeah. No one's going no to incur the, the, the cost And themselves. I also heard a... Um, sorry, and I just remembered. I had like a, like a meeting at an organisation three days ago, and... Um, they basically called for a focus group because mm -hmm. they noticed that their main office is in Oxford and what they kept getting was Oxford applicants mm -hmm. and what they found was that all they were actually having working in their organisations was Oxford applicants and they were struggling with diversity and being able to develop different mindsets and different different turns and different like ways of policies in the organization because mm. they began to see that there was a trend in all the people that were that yeah. were applying and i think even going back to that as well in terms of opportunity in the long run i think it's always important when you're looking at education to look at the final destination mm. and when you find that a lot of the time students from a particular background are almost stuck in a particular place whether in independent or normal like i like to call it yeah <laughs> um it you, you can kind of see as well like the long the long term effects of that yeah. and just going back to what you said about having like an integration amongst different communities really would have a positive impact on the future mm. of society and of this city and nation but when you it's almost like there's a bo there's a box off and cut off point mm. at a particular point in education yeah. and that's when the problem begins yeah yeah it's a glass ceiling yeah like if you go to a, a good school or a private school and you go to a good university where you might meet your hubby who's mm. got you know the same or life partner or whatever your choice is yeah. and you know <laughs> they have they come from a similar background chances are your kids are going to follow yep. in that path and then it's just self-perpetuating yeah. the same way that some people get sort of stuck at the other end right. of the sort of social economic spectrum as well yeah. yeah so that's why yeah that's why an integrated society is obviously really positive yeah. because it creates attainment aspiration mm -hmm. social mobility and yeah 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 well if you Listeners, if you have views on um, our party's policies, if you disagree with Mirilla and you actually think the Labour Party's policy around VAT and independent schools is a fantastic idea and it's going to do amazing things, 
do note the shade in my voice. Um, <laughs> do Girl. let us know. Let us know. Um, um, yeah, and if you don't like free schools, if you don't like Toby Young, please don't let us know about that. If you don't like Toby Young, that's fine. Just we don't want Toby Young hate. Um, but if you don't like free schools or <laughs> grammar schools or independent schools, do let us know. Hashtag Consensus Podcast. Tweet us at the underscore consensus underscore. So um, I was reading about this and mm. I found it kind of shocking. So if you remember before, I mentioned that actually ethnic minorities, students from ethnic minority backgrounds are more likely to do better than their white counterparts. Um, and that is a fact um, in education. And they tend to be more educated, actually. So, however, um, a analysis, an analysis by the Resolution Foundation, which is a think tank, um, showed that Pakistani and Bangladeshi graduates are 12% less likely to be in work than white, gradu- white British graduates. Indian and Black Caribbean students have a jobs gap of around 5%. Black African and Bangladeshi graduates are twice as likely to be working in low-paying occupations. And why, why do you guys think this doesn't translate? So we're so educated, mm-hmm. but yet we're unable to get the high-paying jobs um, and we're experiencing inequalities in the labour market. Why do you think that this is? Do you think there's a, there's a reason? Or, or perhaps it's part of what we've talked about. So maybe class wasn't a factor when they were at school when they got to university and then now that they're out of the education system class is now a factor in getting jobs um what do you think sounds pretty wise to me if i say (laughs) so um i think that's that's a fair thing i think a lot of it is the similar sort of attitudes that when it comes to like women applying for jobs as well i think there is that thing where there is a this isn't said negatively but there is that sort of sense of entitlement that uh, white British people have right. it's a confidence to apply for something the same way that boys can just you know it's like in class when um, if a teacher asks a question a boy will be more likely to stick his hand up because he doesn't care if he's wrong yeah. a girl will be um, more less likely to put her hand up in case she is wrong yeah. and I think there is that sort of similar sh- uh, sell- lack of self-assuredness mm. um, that class plays into like at private school they teach you how to be confident um, it's just implicit in the way they talk to you. I mean, I can't. They probably do this in comprehensive schools as well, but I certainly know that in, in a private school, part of the parcel and package is right. um, sort of improving your self confidence. They're able to have that stewardship with you because of smaller class sizes. Um, again, this is not exclusive to private schools, but mm. I know that looking at the way, especially in some of the more elite institutions and the way that kids who went to those schools behave, there is this way that they can feel that they can take the world on and apply for anything and right. they know that they have the institutional um the institutions are on their side mm. whereas if you're an ethnic minority it might be a hesitance in applying for something because you know that they'll take one look at your name on the cv yeah and be like no yeah and they've done this they've done tests where it's proven that if you have a more european or british sounding name you're more likely to get invited to oh, interview yeah. yeah and if you have a name that's obviously ethnic so it's like well, why even bother then and then you get trapped and it's hard to yeah I don't know that's what do you guys think I think I definitely agree and even going back to what you said as well stats do prove that even in terms of salary negotiation Mm -hmm. um, men are a lot more likely to go into an interview and negotiate their salary and say I want more yeah as opposed to a woman doing so and that would that has a almost like um like a like a twin kind of connection with your actual position in an organisation, yeah. your salary. Like a knock on the yeah. 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 And even just going back 
to the whole question I think there's a lot of things that people tend to I don't know if it's a coping mechanism that we've just learned to kind of pick up or yeah. something we just decided to do because it makes life look nicer mm. but um there are there's a lot of things that have been institutionalized yeah sexism mm. is a thing has always been a thing is a thing yeah is a thing <laughs> and will probably still be a thing for a very long time racism is sexism a thing <laughs> 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 racism evidently um classism is such a big thing and we even have this thing as well we still have it across the board across industries the boys club effect yeah people that have known each other for years talk the same dress the same went to school in the same places yeah. tend to have the big time jobs in the same places yeah um so i'm just going to jump in there because i just think that i suppose when we talked about is class the biggest effect so maybe it wasn't in terms of success and attainment right but actually if for example daddy has a lawyer friend mm-hmm. on transfer lane and daddy also has a friend who works at goldman sachs and daddy also has a friend mm-hmm. who he was at school with who's now an mp mm-hmm. you can have work experience at Ooh. a barrister's chamber yeah goldman sachs financial political and then you decide that you want to do history and politics and then you come out with a route a two one from a russell group university employ you exactly in comparison to i don't know lola ade just that's just a random nigerian name that doesn't made up <laughs> sorry if anyone's really trying not to laugh but imagine <laughs> and whilst you're working hard but your mom doesn't know anybody mm. like how, where are you going to start to send an email to someone to apply for work experience i'm quite like i'm i suppose i'm really blessed and because i was that kid that was always talking like I have always I always knew what I wanted so I yeah. wanted to be a barrister so that I was able to get work experience in barrister's chamber and then afterwards when I was at A level I was like you know what I really like politics my politics teacher was amazing she was able to help me write to my local MP I had some experience there amazing. and then that's kind of how it worked for me mm. but I can imagine if you know you're not really like me because everyone isn't that outspoken. Everyone, some people don't even. Some people don't even think that they could have work experience yeah. in those places. First of all, mm-hmm. so that again is an issue. Like yeah. if you're, I don't know, you, you're very deprived. Of it, why would you ever think that some that you could ever write to a, a partner or a barrister's chamber in London and they would sort of exactly. say yes? If come you on. don't know, yeah, where do you, you start? Where exactly, do you start? where do you start? So obviously by the time you're coming out of university, you don't have any experience. In comparison to you, you might have got a first class, well done to you, but your um, counterpart who's got a 2-1 or 2-2... Sometimes even less than that. Even less than that, is able to get into... A better job. A better, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because they've got that experience. Yeah. So, yeah, so okay, wow. I'm just... Um, Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So we began this podcast, like class is not a factor and now we're ending. <laughs> but also I think it's, it could also have a, um, the university that you go to have a part to play. Oh, definitely. So the Ox- we know for a fact that Oxford and Cambridge are not doing enough to attract people from other backgrounds. Um, and... And a lot of them, and also this was not Oxbridge, but Ox, actually Russell Group University yep. as a whole. So we see a lot of ethnic minorities going to post nineteen ninety two universities, mm. which are not part of the red bricks. And 
are not particularly highly highly regarded by employers. Mm. So they will just see someone who's, as we said, had work experience with barrister chamber, come out on the tutube, went to Oxford. Why would they take you as opposed to someone who went to University of East London, mm. for example? No shade, no shade. But I'm just saying because obviously that's a roster. That's group. what's done. Yeah, that's that, 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 that is what happens. Actually, what there happens, is so yeah. like, there's this massive saturation of people with university degrees ever since what was it? Tony Blair said that he wanted fifty percent of all yeah. young people to have university degrees. Yeah. Yeah. And there are so many jobs out there that require that. Say this is a graduate job. It doesn't need to be a graduate job, and you can still end up on a really good path where you yeah. get a good yeah. salary. But maybe an apprenticeship or something else would be a better. So I think employers need to divorce themselves from this mm. obsession with graduates that yeah. they are somehow better than the rest of the population yeah. without in the same time diminishing that some people probably do want to go to university because they are really academic and they do want to read these stupidly thick books and spend loads yeah. of time in the library because that's what's right for them mm. but other people who it's not right for but they can still have they should still have the opportunity right. to attain their like achieve their goals of right. wealth happiness yeah doing a job they want and and it, a, university degree shouldn't necessarily be part of parcel but then yeah. we, we will you know we will sit here with degrees and with their qualifications <laughs> so it's easy yeah. for us to say yeah. whether you know but we're almost out of time but before actually the last the last thing i wanted to discuss with you guys actually ties right. in very well with that what do you guys think an edu- what do you think constitutes an educated person in 2018 like if if you met someone what why would, what would make you think oh this person's so educated is it because they've got a phd they've got a degree they've got a master's or they speak very well um what do you think marilla i think one thing i've noticed is that a lot of the time people can note educate being educated to intelligence mm-hmm. and um I think that's a big problem and the reason I say that is because you see a lot of a lot of the people we see in the media um, or have big positions as we saw a statement from Madame um, Merkel over there um, <laughs> um, it kind of shows otherwise mm. and I think it, it kind of creates this friction between um, people in society that do have degrees and don't have degrees or maybe went to a particular type of school and didn't go to a different type of school so to me I don't I don't have a definition of for what an educated, educated person is enough. because I believe in wisdom mm-hmm. um, and I believe in understanding yeah. um, in a level that supersedes a lot of what a normal person would idealise as being wise and intellectual. Yeah. For me, education isn't the embodiment of that. Yeah. We see a lot of educated fools. Mm. so i think well i think um education shouldn't be a crutch as much as it has been made to be yeah um and it doesn't compensate for a person's character or their value so to me i don't really have a definition of what that is you know if you want to say someone's educated we can talk about the basics and maybe say gcses and if you did day levels and whatever but for me personally it just doesn't it doesn't mean much to me yeah in terms of who the person is so yeah yeah, I mean, I guess for me, uh, I, I can't really follow up with that, but I think it, to, to take a less sort of, to be like a less, maybe less good answer, I think that with the wealth of opportunity and like knowledge at our fingertips nowadays, right. I think people should be able to far, identify an interest of theirs. Yeah. yeah. It, can, it can be anything. anything. It can yeah. be anything, yeah. but we all have it. We all have the time. I mean, most of us, I mean, okay, yeah, not everyone, because some jobs and some lives are just too much. But yeah. I think most of those that do, for me, it's, it's more when people have the opportunity to do stuff and they, and they don't, don't take do. it. Okay. And yeah. that is what grates on me because yeah. there are people who would give so much to be able to, you know, not, not just 
you know, academic university, uh, good college or whatever. Mm. But it's when it's when you just there are so many opportunities and there's so much yeah it's for people to do. Right. But yeah. if you don't do it, it's just a real shame. Yeah. It's just I think people for me, yeah, education is an educated person, someone who's identified their potential, who has the capacity to identify their potential right. and make some steps towards being to like it. I'm going to yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do... evolve. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's yeah. what I think. Well it's yeah, really... I absolutely agree with you guys. Yeah, I think as you said, is someone who is willing to push the limits, right? Like to achieve the best that they can. Mm. I think obviously you need the basics. Like, I think you need GCSEs, yeah, by A stars to C at least, yeah. And then you can decide what you want to do because not because that would make you less educated, but because that would give you the foundation. I mean, if you don't know how to yeah. add, if you don't understand math, you don't understand basic English, you can't really, you know. And also, schools do give you those skills, so. You start off learning how to research and things mm. like that, which yeah you may not have if you didn't have. It's that spark things. of curiosity that so many exactly. kids have lost nowadays, yeah. and it's just finding the root of where that is. Mm. Like kids just don't seem to be as curious anymore. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, on that sad note, <laughs> I think we've come to the end of our podcast today. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, this has been really fascinating. If you yeah. guys have any um, thoughts, if there are any other issues that you thought we could have explored, do let us know. We might consider it for season two. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, do, as I said, keep in touch. Use the hashtag consensus podcast. Tweet us at the underscore consensus underscore. And join in the conversation using our hashtag consensus podcast. Just lonely feelings left away in my head. I trap myself further every time I stay quiet. I should start to speak, but I stop and stay silent. And now I've made my own hard bed inside this prison of words unsaid. P.O.W. That's what I am. Not a prisoner of war, a prisoner of words. Mostly I say what you want to hear. Could you take it if I came clear, or would you rather just see me stolen on a drug of complacency and compliance? M-I-A, guess that's what I am. Scraping this cold, hard earth for a piece of myself. For peace in myself. It'd be easier if you just put me in jail, you know. If you lock me away, I'd have someone to blame. But these bars of steel are of my making. They surround my mind and have me shaking and 